Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. Uh, It was years ago where my wife and I moved into our now home, and uh, it was a great home. It, it, It had some work to be done to it, and it honestly needed a little bit of love, all right? Uh, We loved the house, we moved into it, um, but it had some foundation issues. Uh, It had some electrical issues. Uh, It had been abandoned for a number of years before we moved into it, and somebody had tried to quickly flip it, and so they made some updates, but not a lot. Uh, And some of the updates they did, we loved, and some of the updates that they did, uh, weren't a big fan of. Honestly, uh, I don't know who sold them their paint, Uh, for the outside and the inside, but I think they sold them what I could only imagine was the ugliest color of yellow they could possibly think of. And so that's what our outside and inside of our house looked like. And so when we moved in, we as the new occupants, the new owners of the house began to get to work. And we begin to get to work on some of the areas of our, our house that we kind of spent the most time in. That was kind of our strategy. What are the areas we spend the most time in? Let's move into those areas, kind of make our house our home for us specifically with our style and all that stuff. And so the first area we looked at uh, was our living room. Uh, and to be honest, it wasn't that bad. Uh, they had painted the fireplace yellow. I mean, really, who does that, right? Right. They painted it yellow and everything else was good, but it wasn't really our style. So we went in and we painted that fireplace white. Uh, We put cedar boards around uh, all the beams. We put shiplap, you know, Chip and Joanna were really big influences of ours. And so we did that. At the time we owned like a couch uh, that I'd had for years. And so we went out and bought new furniture and we changed this room from something that was kind of bland uh, to something that was much more us and something that we saw as beautiful. As we began to transform this room that we spent the bulk of our time in, the living room. Uh, Right around the time we were finishing this project, our dogs, long story, destroyed one of our bathrooms. I won't go into detail of that, but it was so destroyed that we had to rip down the drywall from our bathroom and replace it with new drywall and get this shiplap. And uh, we began to make this bathroom not just functional, but someplace that was really uh, beautiful, something that was really marked by our style. And we made it uh, to look like this, Uh, something that was not just functional, but something that was uh, beautiful. Uh, And then around that time, we found out that we were pregnant. And fun fact, kids need space to exist. And we had a room in our house that, I don't know if you have like a junk, dro- junk, junk drawer or a junk closet. We had a junk room. It was like just the, the place where all of our stuff just kind of went and just kind of stayed there because we didn't know where else to put it. And so we had to go into that room and clear out a year's worth of our stuff and, and kind of clear it out. And then we got even more ambitious. And so we once again tore down the drywall, which I would not recommend doing when your wife is four months pregnant. But we did that. Uh, We put up new drywall and we created this space that we knew we were gonna spend a lot of time in with our son and watch him grow up in. And we took it from something uh, that was functional and bland uh, to once again, something that was beautiful and that was marked by our style uh, and our intentionality. And, And so as we worked on the inside of our house, you begin to see signs 
of not just internal transformation within our home, but external as well. As people would drive by week after week, month after month, what they first saw was this. Uh, it, it was an older home, and so again, foundation issues. These bushes had kind of like taken over, even messing with the foundation. There was roofing issues and window issues and all these different things, but as we begin to move in, people began to see the transformation that would play out. And then over time, this transformation was marked by something that we loved and we would invite people into. And so I, I mention all of that to say this, that, that when Jesus comes into your life, like, like if you are in Christ, Jesus has come into your life, come into your world, and he dwells within you as a believer. It says that the very spirit of Jesus dwells deeply within you, but as he dwells in you, he doesn't just wanna live in you, he wanna, wants to make his home within you, that he loves you exactly where you are, but he loves you enough to not leave you where you're at. And so he moves into every aspect of your life in your world and he begins to transform you literally from the inside out. Why? Because there's a new resident that dwells within you. And when that resident dwells within you, he gets to work in you, but then also through you because he wants to transform you from the inside out. And as we've been moving through our study in Ephesians, we've seen Ephesians kind of in these two parts, right? The first three chapters are all about the wealth we have in Jesus, that of who he is and what he's done, of, of what the Father has done through the Son that has given us the Spirit that unites us, yes, back to God, but then also back to one another. And we see this deep wealth, this richness that we have in Christ. And then in chapters four, five, and six, we see how we now walk in Christ, that Jesus' life has deep implications on every aspect of your life and my life as he lives in you and lives through you. He wants to impact your marriage, your community group, your workspace, how you lead as a boss or an employee, your family, your friends, your holiness in life. He wants to impact and transform not just on the inside, but on the outside as well. And so right here, we're in the dead center of Ephesians. And we've been talking about this wealth we have in Christ. And before we move into the 50 commands that talk about how Jesus wants to transform your life, Paul is gonna pause and he's gonna pray. And he's gonna pray that God would transform you from the inside so that he can ultimately transform you on the outside as well. And so that right there was one of the most significant truths in my life that I have to keep coming back to because I have a tendency of trying to focus in on the externals of my life, but that's like painting your house when there's a busted pipe, that Jesus gets to work in you so that he can work through you and transform you from the inside out. And so we're gonna be in Ephesians 3, picking up in verse 14, and we're gonna go through the end of the chapter. And I love what Paul is doing here because Paul doesn't get a lot of space in before he just pauses again and prays that we wanna see God's word, but then we wanna pray God's word back to him. And that's what Paul's doing right here. It's a model prayer for us. It's not the only model prayer in scripture. There's other ones, but here, right here, is such a significant one because it's one that we often miss, that we can focus in on external realities or even our own situations. God, would you help here? Would you transform this externally? And those are good things. But before we get there, we need to pause and we need to pray that God would transform us from the inside out. And as we move through 
this prayer, we see these three major movements. We see the posture of prayer, how we as Christians need to come before God. But then we see the purpose of prayer, a purpose that I think a lot of us honestly miss, myself included. And when these two things combine, the posture of prayer and the purpose of prayer, we see the power of prayer in our lives, something that all of us in Christ have access to and yet seldom reach out for. And so it's my hope and the hope of this passage is that we would up our prayer life that we would pray bigger and we would pray together with one another, for one another, that we would be strengthened on the inside and then we would see that transformation on the outside. So that's what we're doing this morning. And so first up, we're gonna look at the posture of prayer. How should a Christian come before God? And he says this in verse 14, he says, for this reason, because of everything I've already talked about to you, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And so what Paul is doing here is before he tells you what he's gonna pray, he wants to tell you what his heart looks like in prayer. It's not just a physical reality, it's an emotional, internal, spiritual reality. How are you coming before the God who is? And he says first up that he says, I bow my knees, that there is this desperation in Paul's life when he goes and prays. Because most of the time in the ancient world, what people would do when they prayed was to stand. That was the normal activity. And yet in desperation, Paul kneels because he knows he is desperate before God. And he knows he's desperate before God because he's dependent on God. That he doesn't solely see God as this distant deity, but rather this intimate father. And as a child, he comes before this God who's in heaven and he says, I bow my knees before the father. He could have picked any word for God in that moment, but he chooses to pick the word Father because it's meant to connotate, yes, an infinite being of God from whom every family on earth is named, that there is an infinite God out there, but we in Christ get to approach him as an intimate Father, that you have access to the God of the universe. And so we're desperate in prayer, but it's because we're like children dependent upon our Father who's in heaven. And because of this, this desperation, this dependence, that we in Christ as Christians need to be devoted to prayer. That's a command. In Colossians chapter four, verse two, Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful in it, being thankful in it. That the posture of the Christian in the heart of the believer is to have his or her knees down in a desperation before the God who is. But because that God is also Father, we can have our hands up in dependence as a child would come before his dad. But then a life that's marked by a moment by moment devotion to him in the activity of prayer, that I'm creating space in my life to pray, but then also the activity and ongoing attitude of prayer, that we come before our meetings and before our homes and before our relationships and before our conversations, and we say with the posture of our heart, I am desperate for you, God. I'm dependent upon you, and so I'm gonna be devoted to you, so God, would you help me here? That is the posture of the Christian. And yet the truth is, most of us struggle with that. 
And yet God is in the, de- the, the business of creating a desperation in us, a dependence in us, because he wants us to be devoted to him. And so I don't know what it is for you that you're desperate for right now. You feel dependent in. But those things are not meant to lead you to devastation or destruction. They're meant to lead you to a desperation of God. And so I don't know if it's the things going on in our world right now. You turn on the news this past week and this was a heavy week on a heavy month, on a heavy year. And it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. And there's a, there's a depth to that. And it might not be in the world outside of you. It might be the world around you. Maybe it's something happening with your kids or with your family or a financial decision or or all these different things. And these things in our life are meant to push us to the God who is in this desperation and this dependence as we're devoted to him. But if we're honest about our prayer life, we're distracted. And we don't come before God the way that we're meant to. And yet God is in the business of creating that in us, that desperation, that dependence. And sometimes it's really clear in our lives. Like for me, a little bit over a year ago, uh, before my son was born, uh, we went to one of those um, uh, checkups, just that normal checkup. And, and we saw the sonogram and, and we saw uh, this little bitty spot on his heart. And um, they said, hey, it's no big deal. Those typically go away. Well, the next appointment, it was still there. And the next, and the next. And their tone began to change. And it went from, hey, it's probably not a big deal to, okay, it actually could be a big deal. And you need to have that looked at by a specialist. And to think about that moment, this, this is our, my first kid and still in the womb and we have to take him to a heart specialist because of a spot that won't go away and, and some realities of what could be because of that. And, and in that moment, I just remember feeling so helpless and so hopeless Like as a husband, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what words to say. I didn't have the answers. I wanted just to be able to give to my wife. And as a dad, I couldn't control anything that was happening in my little boy's heart. And in me, as just someone who's journeying with Jesus, I was like, God, I just feel so helpless here. But like suffering has a way of showing you how little control you really have. And so I would go out into this field at a park near my house and I would just be alone with God and I would pour out my heart to him and it wasn't pretty. Like it was a pretty like ugly prayer and it wasn't like well organized or anything. It was just a kid coming before his dad and going, God, I need you. And I want this to be changed. I want this to be different. I want this to be easier. And so God, would you change that? Yes. But what God started to do was he started to change me. And I opened up God's word and I began to realize who I'm talking to, that he is my dad. Like I'm Judah's dad and he loves me so much more than I could possibly imagine and he began to show me his love for me and his kindness towards me and that even though I felt like I didn't have any control that he was in control and so he began to work in me so much so that by the time we went into the final appointment, this moment that was gonna be this this dividing line in in our story of whether or not it was gonna be no big deal or whether or not it was gonna be a, a life trajectory for us, Before we heard about my son's heart, God had already transformed my own. 
And I walked in with a peace that surpassed understanding, surpassed the situation. It didn't make sense why I felt the way that I did, except for the fact that God was working in me so that he could work through me. And in that, what I didn't know is that God had been at work in my son's heart. And when they showed the sonogram, it was gone. And that is so easy to celebrate. And, and to celebrate a God that would intervene through, through miraculous intervention and intervene through medical technology. And that's so amazing to celebrate. But what's so even more amazing to celebrate is not the physical change in my son's heart, but the spiritual change in my own. That you in Christ can have a peace that surpasses whatever situation you're in. Do you know that? Because God wants to give that to you. As we come before him in that posture of prayer and dependence, and the truth is, we don't always have a, a doctor's appointment to look forward to that creates that dependence in us, but if you are honest in your daily life, there is so much stuff going on in our world that that should drive us to our knees and not to despair, but to devotion and to discipline and to desperation and dependence. And so I know for me, I, I don't typically come to God. I wish I did it better. I, I can come to God with so much flippancy in my life, so much distraction, and not realize who it is I'm talking to. And I'm imagining I'm not alone here. And so when you really comprehend like what it is that's going on in your world, that should drive you to your knees. But what it often does for us is it drives us to despair, doesn't it? And God wants something more for you. He wants to fill you with love and joy and hope that's rooted not in your situation, but in your Savior. And so I need to create habits in my life that remind me of how desperate and how devoted and how disciplined and how much I truly need God. And so I asked some of my friends this past week, hey, what is it for you in your world that you kind of can create some space, whether that activity or that attitude of prayer, what is it for you that you remind yourself how desperate and how dependent you are in God? And I got some amazing responses. And so I just wanna read them to you and hopefully these help us to create some of that space in our own life. And so one person said, look, I use alarms on my phone to remind me to pray throughout the day. I block off literal chunks of time in my calendar each day to pray. I, I sit in silence for a few minutes to calm my heart before I pray. I read books about prayer as a way to motivate myself to pray. I try to picture God sitting next to me as I drive to work and I just talk with him. I pause and listen after I pray to see if there's anything God has asked me to do in response. I have ducks on my desk. This one's not me. But I love it. I have ducks on my desk that I, throughout the day, whenever I pray, I move them from one side of the desk to the other. And I want to see throughout the day all the little duckies move across to the other side. That's my hope. I love that. I pray scripture back to God. I fast as a reminder of my dependence upon him. I take prayer walks around my neighborhood. Whenever I say to someone, I'll pray for you, I just stop and right there pray for them. I keep Christmas cards around our dinner table so that every single night we can pull them out and as a family pray for other people in our lives. For me this past week, 
it's easy for me just to kind of forget how dependent I am on God. And so I just made a list of all the areas of my life that I needed help in, the things that I wanted to control but I knew were out of my control. And I made this list and it filled up a full page of my journal. Because when I'm honest, I'm desperate and I'm dependent and pride will keep me before, pride will keep me from coming before God in that desperation because I think I got it. And it doesn't take long for me to realize I don't. And it doesn't take a doctor's appointment to make me realize I don't. That we as believers in Christ need to come before him in a posture of dependence, of desperation, and be devoted to the God who loves you because he wants to transform you from the inside out because when we come to him in this posture of prayer, he begins to transform us and he starts right here. He starts in the heart and that's where Paul goes next. We come to him in this posture of prayer, of utter dependence, of utter desperation, but then we begin to see the purpose of prayer. That prayer isn't about changing God's mind. It's about changing your own heart. And that's what he says in verse 16. He says that according to the riches of his glory, he, God, might grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. And so of all the things that Paul says in this passage, this right here is the prayer. That he says that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Simply put, that you would be strong on the inside. That there's one singular prayer here. And before you pray about external situations, which is good, God wants to transform your internal self. Because sometimes in the storms of life, he calms the storms and we praise God for that. But sometimes he just strengthens your soul as you go through that storm and you become who you were meant to be. And God wants to strengthen you on the inside because he knows the outcome of that strength. And our passage gives us these three outcomes, these three so that's, these three reasons and outcomes of praying for this inner strength within us. It says, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith, so that you being rooted and grounded in love might have the strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And so three times there's this outpouring of what happens when you are internally strengthened. And the first one is so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith, through faith. And that this idea right here could feel redundant because doesn't Jesus already dwell in me? And the answer is yes. That if you have trusted in the goodness and grace and gospel of Jesus Christ, he lives in you. He dwells in you. He loves you exactly where you're at, but he loves you enough to not leave you there. And that's why that word dwell right there doesn't just mean he takes up occupancy, but rather he makes his home in you. And if you notice specifically, it says he dwells in your hearts through faith. That the word heart is not a seat of emotion but it's so much more than that. It's the seat of the emotions, the will, your strength, your decision-making, your mental capacities. It represents all that you are, that Jesus wants to move into every room of your house 
and touch it and transform it as he dwells and makes his home in you. So I love the way C.S. Lewis says it. He says, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house and at first you can understand what he's doing, right? He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaks and, and the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing and so you're not surprised when he does them. But presently he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts. It doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? Well, the answer is, and the explanation is that he is building quite a different house than the one you thought he was building. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting up an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into this nice little cottage, but he's building a palace because he intends to come and live in it himself. That is what God is doing in your life. And for so many of us, we have locks on some of the doors. And we're so terrified that Jesus is gonna come in and mess things up. He's not trying to rip you off. He wants to set you free. Because that junk drawer, that junk closet, that junk room is destroying you. And for so many of us, we don't even see it. And if you wanna see it, go through Regen. A few years ago when I went through that, all of a sudden these little doors that are shut in my life, I begin to open them and Jesus began to knock down those walls. And if you've ever done a house project, you know when you pull everything out, it's messy. But he begins to touch and transform to make that room of your heart something beautiful. He wants to transform you but like, listen, he wants to take your anger and replace it with love. He wants to take that anxiety you have and replace it with peace. Who wouldn't want that? But it takes work as he works in you and he works through you. But when he does that, you will begin to see who is this God that to be near him, to know him, to walk with him, is to have all of your anger and anxiety and fear and lust replaced by all that he is. This is the God who is. And if you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you and the same power that conquered the grave lives in you to die to yourself and to live the life you were meant to live. When those doors swing open and he begins to transform, you will see how deeply he loves you because that's where he goes next that he begins to transform every aspect of your life so that you could see his love. That you would see him as Lord, yes, but as you walk with him as Lord, you would begin to see more and more how deeply he loves you. It says that you being rooted and grounded in love, that your life should be anchored into the love of Christ and then built up on the love of Christ, that it's all about his love. And as you are anchored in the love of Christ, you could comprehend and know this love. To comprehend is to have the intellectual understanding of the height and width and all that God is. But to know is to have this intimate knowledge 
of the love of God. And so watch this. It takes the infinite God and the power of the infinite God that you would intellectually know and intimately know the love of God. That's how great his love is for you, that you can't comprehend it on your own. You need him to do it for you because it's so wide, it's so deep, it's so long. I love what one commentator says, that God's love is broad enough to encompass all mankind, long enough to last for eternity, deep enough to reach the most degraded sinner. I don't care where you are in your walk with Jesus or if you don't even know him, his love is coming after you. And it's high enough to exalt you to heaven. This is the love of God. Do you know it? Do you know it? Because when you do, it gives your life a fullness that you could only dream of. And that's what Paul says next. All these are connected. That when Jesus dwells within you, you begin to see the deep love that God has for you. And when you see the deep love that God has for you, it fills you with the fullness of God. That's a prayer. (laughs) And in fact, this is actually just a repeated idea from Paul's first prayer. You've been studying this book with us. You'll see in Ephesians 1.23 that when we think about Jesus, it says the fullness of him who fills all and in all. And then right here, we pray for ourselves and others that we might be filled with the fullness of God. That w- what does that even mean? Like, do we just need a little bit more of God? No. The full God dwells and lives in you. So what does that mean to be full of God? Well, think about it this way. If you're full of rage, if you're full of love, if you're full of joy, it means that those things are are consuming you, but also controlling you. And so if you're full of God, it means that he is the one that's consuming you. And because he's so consuming your thoughts and your actions and your life, the fact that you're thinking about him, you're delighting in him, you're overwhelmed by his love for you, this love that surpasses understanding, you're beginning to to, uh, tap into and to know because you're full and consumed with him, it impacts and transforms not just your inner life, but your external life as well. You begin to see the fruit of God moving in you and through you, that you're full with all the fullness of God. And so many of us, the tragedy is that we're not. Like if you're honest with yourself, like throughout your daily interaction, we don't come to God like this. Our pride keeps us from going to God humbly and boldly and asking him to give us what we know we can't do ourselves. And so we are just in this rat race over and over and over again when God goes, come to me. And I'll give you what you ultimately need for life. But we go to our community groups, our spouses, our friends, our kids, our kids' sports, with cups that are half empty, our cups that are completely empty. And so we begin to look to those things to give us what only God can give us and you just watch the devastation in your life, you begin to put a pressure on your community group that they can't bear because they're not God. 
You begin to put a pressure on your wife or your husband that they cannot bear because they are not God. You begin to put a pressure on your kids that they cannot bear because they are not God. It should not be this way. But rather, we come before God in that posture of prayer and we see the purpose of prayer that he begins to transform us from the inside out. And when he does, he fills us with the fullness of God so much so that when we go to our community, we go to our friends, we go to our family, we go to our kids, we're not trying to get something from them, but rather we're overflowing with the love of God. That first John 4, 19, that we love, why? Because God has first loved us. That we're conduits of his love and they begin to see the love of God and then they become who they were meant to be in God. That's how it works and that's how we often miss it. And we need this. That the purpose of prayer is to overflow with the love that God asks for you. That the purpose of prayer is to look like Christ who loves without expecting anything in return. Who is the fullness of of God and wants to fill you with the fullness of God. And when we have this posture of prayer and we understand the purpose of prayer, when we start to pray like this, we see the power of prayer in our lives and that's exactly where he goes next. That we come with a posture and the right purpose and we see the power of prayer explode. Not to destroy but to bring life. He says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ask or even think according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever, amen. That there is this power that God wants you to tap into and it's a power above us that it's to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even imagine or think. That there's a power at work and God wants us to tap into it. There's a power above us, but notice there's a power in us. That according to verse 16, that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and he wants to live in you and move in you and we have the access through prayer to access this power. And as we see this power above us that's working all things for our good and his glory and we see this power within us that's moving in us and through us, we begin to see this is for our good, yes, but it's for the glory of God. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ throughout all of the centuries, all the generations, forever and ever and ever, amen. That when you see this passage in its totality, you see it's the power of God according to the spirit of God, working in the people of God to bring glory to God. Prayer is not about you. Prayer transforms you, that you might live a life in what Paul says in the very next sentence in chapter four, worthy of your calling in which you've been called. But before we can run off and change all of our exteriors, we need to pause, we need to pray. God, transform me from the inside out. And so what do we do with all this? This is a deep wealth that we have in Christ, a treasure that is laid hidden in you. 
this power of prayer. And so how does this wealth that we have in Christ impact how we walk in Christ day after day? Well, two things and we'll close. First up, we need to pray bigger. We need to pray bigger. You can't outpray God because he can do far more abundantly than anything you can even ask or think. So we need to pray bigger. And so we're commanded elsewhere in scripture, yes, pray for your situations. Pray that your family member, your loved one, yourself would get healed from that sickness. Pray that that prodigal would return. Pray that that spouse would repent. But pray even bigger than that. Some of the most powerful stories of life change here at City Bridge was when that prodigal never returned or that husband never came back or that diagnosis didn't get better. But God began to work in that person and produce a joy and a love that many of us would dream on our best days to have. And so what is it inside of you? If God were to transform something inside of you this year, what would that be? He wants to. For me, I struggle a lot with insecurity and fear and so I pray, God, would you transform me from the inside out and I can focus in on kind of paving the path in front of me to make sure my insecurities and fears don't get sparked. But what I know is that God wants to transform me that even if those fears become a reality, he's got this. What is that for you? Pray bigger. But then next, pray together. I don't know if you noticed, but Paul wasn't praying for himself in this passage. He was praying for other people. And I know for me, my prayers can be so selfish at times. And that I wonder why my life feels so much like it's about me. But Paul is praying for these people. But then I want you to notice in verse 18, he's calling the saints to pray together. That if we have a hope to know the love of God in Christ Jesus, we need to pray with one another and for one another. And so husbands, the best advice I could give you to move the needle the most in your marriage is to pray with and pray for your wife. Moms, dads, the best thing I could tell you is to pray with and pray for your kids. Community groups, have fun nights. Go and laugh together, yes. But live out the one another of praying with and praying for one another and watch how this unity of spirit and the bond of peace begins to wrap your group together and you begin to do this life the way you were meant to, which is together. And so to be clear, you're gonna need to push through the awkwardness all right? Because if you've never done this before, it can be a little awkward. I know for me, for the very first time, I prayed with a group of guys in college. This guy just started praying, and I didn't know how to respond in that moment, and so I just did what I always do with my family. I grabbed his hand, and it was weird, and it was awkward, 
And he stopped praying and pulled it away. And he was like, dude, that's weird. And I was like, I know I'm new at this. I don't know what to do here. Like, what do I do with my hands? And uh, it was weird. It was awkward, but push through the awkwardness. If you've never prayed with your spouse, push through it. If you've never prayed with and for your kids, push through it. If you've never prayed with your community group, push through it because the goodness of it so outweighs the weirdness of it at first. We need one another to pray with one another, pray for one another, because if you are in Christ, he wants to transform you from the inside out, and we need not just our relationship with him, but we need to run together with all of the saints to understand and comprehend the love that God has for us, that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. And so regardless of where you're at in your journey, if you know Christ, he lives in you, and he wants to make his home in you. No matter how many rooms he's cleaned up, he's not done yet. When we moved into our house, it was broken down and messy, but we began to get to work in it and through it. And people began to notice what was happening because a new resident lived there. But let me be clear, we're not done with our house yet. A little bit after this picture was taken, the fence fell down and we've been in a losing battle since then. <laughs> Our dogs haven't helped at all. The flowers that we planted got destroyed. And because of the foundation, cracks keep showing up. But because we live in that house, we wanna make that house our home. And we get to work. Jesus lives in you and he loves you, and he wants to move in you and through you to transform you from the inside out, and so City Bridge Community Church, let's have our knees bowed in desperation, our hands up in dependence as we devote ourselves to praying bigger prayers, that we would pray that God would transform us from the inside out, because that's what he wants to do, that you would tap into that power of prayer, and you would begin to see the deep love that God has for you as he begins to transform everything in you and through you to fill you with all the fullness of Christ. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at CityBridgeCC. See you next time.